Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning. Welcome, family, um, to another beautiful Sunday. Um, I am just so excited for what God is doing. We have been meeting with our leaders in what we call a reconnect um, on Wednesdays, and it has been an amazing time. And one of our, really our uh, prayers and our hopes for that meeting, we have a vision. And our vision is that God would bring a revival of spiritual disciplines at Inspire Church. That there would be an awakening and a revival to those fundamental uh, core habits uh, of abiding in the vine. And as leaders, we say, God, we want it to start in the church. But if it's going to go to the church, it's got to start with the leaders. It's got to start with us. And so just know this has been such um, an incredible formational really uh, missional changing uh, series for us, um, this series that we've called Rhythms of Life. I want to begin today's message uh, by, first of all, uh, making a confession. I have a confession to make. If I'm being honest, when it comes to today's topic, I do not practice what I preach. Now, I know that's difficult because we want to sit in a sermon and make sure that the preacher who is preaching is also embodying what they're preaching. But I do not practice what I preach. I try, but more often times than not, I have failed more than I have succeeded in establishing a rhythm of Sabbath rest. I wonder if there are any leaders and pastors and ministers in the building that would say, yes, Pastor Phil, we don't practice what I preach. So as we begin to explore this rhythm together, I want you to know that uh, um, I'm not necessarily a teacher today. I'm a student, and I, and I always strive to be a student I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but especially in this area of Sabbath rest, I am being humbled and I am being schooled. And today I stand here indebted to other men and women who have uh, 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 taught and who have brought their wealth of wisdom and experience to the table. In the past year and a half, as I've been looking at this rule of life for myself, uh, uh, this area of Sabbath rest, I have been indebted to men and women like Dallas Willard or Peter Scazzaro or Pastor Richard Villalotis or Dorothy Bassett or John Mark Comer, David Lomas, just to name a few. And I would be glad 
to share those resources with you if after the service you feel inspired to dive deeper into this as well. And so feel free to email us, find us online, send us a DM, but you can email us at inspiredchurches at gmail.com. And I would love to share some of these authors and pastors so that you can dive in the way that I've been diving in and still eating and learning on my own. Amen? Amen. So I... I'm standing before you today uh, uh, less of a teacher and more of a student desiring to grow in Sabbath rest. But one of the things they say is that if you want to learn something, teach something. And so that, of course, has been really helpful for me in this time. As I was preparing this message this week, my wife informed me of the tragic suicide of Chesley Christ. Uh, you might have heard in an article um, that she wrote actually one year ago uh, in Allure magazine. My wife had sent this article to me. Uh, she was reflecting um, on her life after turning 30. And in this article, there were a list of accomplishments that she gave. She talked about how she was a college graduate who received both a law degree and an MBA at the same time from Wake Forest University. She joined the trial team where she won a national championship. She competed in court, won essay competitions, competitions earned regional and national board positions and became, and this is interesting, the oldest, women, oldest woman to win the Miss USA crown at 28. It's not very old, but I guess in that world. Uh, what, what an accomplishment. She wrote, I felt, just reflecting on those years, being younger, this is what she wrote, I felt encouraged to hoard accomplishments as fast as possible. However, she recalls only being rewarded with, quote, a lonely craving for the next reward. And she explains, I nearly worked myself to death. Literally, she spent eight days in a hospital. But she credits that time in the hospital with sparking a new perspective. She wrote, in fact, listen to her words. She said, I, why earn more achievements just to collect another win? Why pursue another plaque or medal or line item on my resume if it's for vanity's sake? Why work so hard to capture the dreams I've been taught by society to want when I continue to find only emptiness? I'm going to read that again. Why work so hard to capture the dreams I've been taught by society to want when I continue to find only emptiness? In a world that glorifies hustle and grind and grits 
in a Silicon Valley and a pandemic world where work and home have now become intertwined, hard to separate. My prayer is that this message would inspire all of us to engage in what I think is one of the most needed, yet the most neglected rhythm of life, Sabbath rest. I mean, just even saying the word rest is, and embracing that even this morning for some of us in this room is very difficult. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need a rest that only you can give. A joy and peace and love and delight that only you can bring. So I pray that, Lord, that these words would settle in on our minds and our hearts and that your spirit would weave such love and conviction that we would begin to think about and move in habits of Sabbath rest. I ask for a blessing for all of us in this room. I pray, Holy Spirit, you do what you do best. Illuminate the text and the word in every heart and mind in this room. We ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have been partnering these rhythms together. And so the first two weeks we did praying and fasting, right? Um, the last two weeks we've been, we partnered discerning the will of God and reading the word of God. And for the next two weeks, we are going to partner resting and working. And so this week, we will focus on a Sabbath rest. And the next week, we'll talk about what work and vocation in the kingdom looks like. Amen? Amen. But let's talk about Sabbath rest. I want to provide for you today with three biblical justifications as to why you should leave your seats today and engage in the Sabbath rest. Like, I want you to run out of this room and say, God, I am ready to try and fail but I will try. And so if you're taking notes, I'm just gonna give you ahead of time where we're going, three biblical justifications. If I could just frame them into uh, uh, um, three words, borrowing from our lovely Pastor Rogers creativity. Uh, Number one is imitation. Number two is liberation. And number three is anticipation. Liberation, I'm sorry, imitation liberation and anticipation three reasons why you should run out of this room today and um, begin to look for opportunities to engage in sabbath rest now i can't take credit for these um, three um, but nonetheless um, as i was diving into my studies this week um, these three reasons definitely um, stood out the most for me so with that being said, let me, let me just try to define the three. Number one, imitation. When we Sabbath rest, we image God. Number two, liberation. When we Sabbath rest, we live into our freedom as sons and daughters. And number three, anticipation. When we Sabbath rest, we look forward to eternity with Jesus. So let's talk about imitation. Imitation, 
begins with an essential understanding. Are you ready? That Sabbath starts with God. Right? It, it's not just like a good human idea. Right? It's not just good advice when you're overwhelmed and you're like really tired. Like, oh, you should get some rest. No, Sabbath rest starts with God. In fact, God initiated it. He is the originator of the Sabbath and he modeled it. He exemplified it. He did it himself in the beginning in the book of Genesis. Are you with me? So when we enter into Sabbath rest, we image God, we look like God, we follow his lead, and we do it two ways, by sanctifying time and sanctifying space. What does it mean to sanctify time and sanctify space? Well, let's look at how God sanctified time and space. And I'm going to move quickly through today's sermons because I've been keeping you guys <laughs> the last couple of weeks, you've done great, a little longer, but I want to get you out on time. And our kids' ministry is back, by the way. Amen. Shout out to Coach Becca out there and the kids' ministry team and those of you who serve on kids' men in this room. And all the parents are like, amen. I just can't preach two hours anymore, amen. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you want to take notes, if you want to, if you're very, I mean, it's in the front, you could turn there fast, but uh, I am just going to go through this again. We have a lot to cover. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, again, we are talking about imitating God by taking Sabbath rest, and we're looking at sanctifying time and sanctifying space. And the scriptures read like this, thus the heavens and the earth were what? They were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God, what? Finished his work that he had done, and he, what? Rested on the seventh day. It doesn't say he finished his work, and then he picked up more work. This is he finished his work, and then he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Notice all his work that he has done is already a repeated pattern, and it's only been a verse and a half. And then it says, so God, what, blessed, you see that, the seventh day, and made it holy, because on, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. There it is, in creation. Y'all with me? So number one, God sanctified time. What does that mean? After six days of divine work, on the seventh day, God entered divine rest. He literally stopped working. But we're also told that he did something else, and this is a key. We're told that he blessed day seven. Do you see that? In other words, he stopped working. He said, hey, look, I've been doing this over a pattern of seven days, but there's this particular day, day seven. Man, that's good. Like, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to bless this day. We're also told that he made it what? Holy. Holy. What does it mean to make that day holy? He set the seventh day apart. Y'all see that? He, 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 he looked at the seventh day. He said, now that is a special day. A lot of us, we have a real stuffy, legalistic view of holiness. 
We think of it as just a bunch of things that we cannot do. Like to be holy is to walk around acting like you are depressed and low. But I want you to know what is beautiful about holy. God is holy. It's special. It's designated as different. In fact, maybe to better help you understand holy, a holy day is where we get the word a holiday. Which for us is so much more than walking around, dragging your feet and dying to yourself. But it is a beautiful delighting and celebrating in rest. So we see God set the seventh day apart. He designated it as special. And he sanctified the time by instituting a regular rhythm of rest. You see that rhythm? Every seven days, six work, seven rest. In his book, Jewish Days... Francine Clagsburn recalls his father referring to the Sabbath as a miracle. Clagsburn writes, a miracle indeed. No such day existed in the universe until it appeared full-blown in the Hebrew Bible. Other ancient peoples had certain evil days, but none had a fixed day in every week of of every month, of every year, in which all work stopped and all creatures rested. Yes, even the animals. You see that? I really want to emphasize a fixed day in every week, of every month, of every year. We're not just talking about a rando vacation that you do once or twice a year where you end up spending more money than you have eating way more than you should and you come back more tired you see that you see what you uh uh, excuse my language but peter skizel calls this a bastardized sabbath it's not a real sabbath blame it on good old peter So the disciples did. So, we, you know, you got name Peter. We're going to give it to you. Okay, moving on. So just so you know, a traditional observant of Shabbat is what it's called. Uh, the traditional observant. The word Shabbat, Sabbath, means literally stop, cease. And traditionally, uh, Orthodox Jew would observe Sabbath rest as a 24-hour block of time in which all work stops, y'all. Paid and unpaid. You like that, babe? <laughs> Paid and unpaid. Because y- you, y'all know how you do it, right? Like you get a day off, and that's the time for you to work what you don't get paid for. You clean the house. You rearrange the garage. You do the yard. You, this, I'll run all the errands. Pay the bills. Go grocery shopping, shopping, right? This is what you do. But this was a 24-hour block of time in which all work stops, paid and unpaid. And it began for them on sundown on Friday, and it ended for them on sundown Saturday. So you see how he sanctified a time. Y'all with me? Number two, God sanctified space. 
I want to say all space is sanctified. God created it all. But prior to resting, God, he spent six days working, creating. And in those six days, God created the universe and all of its detailed intricacies and the solar system and all the inhabitants, the the animals, the birds, the insects, the plants, all these kingdoms he uniquely designed and created. I mean, what a long work week. But within this massive universe, God created a special space called Eden. And there, God placed Adam as priest to tend and keep Eden. In fact, for those of us that were here during our series in which we talked about the tabernacle, we know that the tabernacle and the temple are all of these recreations, these rebuilding of the Garden of Eden, a sacred space. Where God's unique presence would come to what? Dwell with man. Are you with me? So within this massive universe, God creates a special place called Eden. God places Adam as priest over his garden sanctuary. And he created a sanctified space where his unique presence would come and dwell with his people. I love this. To imitate God by practicing a rhythm of Sabbath rest is to be intentional about creating a space and scheduling a time to stop all work and delight in God's presence. You want to know why God modeled intentionality? Because he knew that if we wouldn't plan it, we wouldn't do it. All right, so if you're a pragmatic person, I'm just going to get practical for a moment. Sanctifying time looks like putting Sabbath rest on your calendar. And, and put it, make it the first thing that goes on, not the last thing. It means prioritizing it, setting apart Sanctifying space looks like being strategic and planning out the details of your Sabbath so that it doesn't just become a couch day where you binge watch Netflix. Right? It looks like planning it out in detail so that, as Peter Scazzaro describes it, you can, are you ready? Stop work. Enjoy rest. Practice delight and contemplate God. Y'all see that? Can I say that again? Stop work. Enjoy. Let me just stop work. We'll just stop there. (laughs) Enjoy rest. Practice delight and contemplate God. I heard John Mark Comer say, stop working, worrying, and wanting. Like, I know some people that will even refuse to buy commerce on that day just so that they know they are contented with what they have. Stop working, worrying, wanting, and then start resting, 
worshiping, and here's a word, celebrating. Again, holy day, holiday. Think of December 25th. It's Christmas. We have sanctified that day. We have set it apart. It has become special in our culture. It comes. There's a rhythm. It comes once a year. And and what beautiful time when we get all dressed up. We have special occasions. We get with family. We make our favorite foods. Like This is what it looks like to make it holy, to decide, to determine, to make it special. Your holiday, your holy day. Except it wasn't supposed to be once a year. It was supposed to be once a week. Amen? Creating a space may even look like shutting the phone off. Hiding the computer. (laughs) Maybe have your spouse hide it. Uh, Not just calendaring a time but really trying to create a space where distractions are limited so that delight can flourish. This isn't just a day off. It isn't just a vacation. It's not an excuse to veg on the couch. It's deeper than that. It's an intentional time to not only rest the body, but to replenish the soul. Some of you are really, your souls are really tired. Amen. One of my favorite descriptions of the Sabbath comes from Pastor Rich Villalotis. He says this, Sabbath is a day that moves us from production to presence. It's not as easy as that sounds. Because for many of us to take away productivity is to take away a false sense of joy. And so that brings us to our next step, liberation. Liberation is living into our freedom by prioritizing rest over work. Amen? God creates man. We go back to the creation narrative on the sixth day. And then he, what does he do? He initiates a rhythm of rest on the seventh day. I want you to think about this. This means that man's first full day of life is divine rest. Watch, watch. God will call Adam to work. And we'll talk about that next week. He will call Adam to work. He'll place him in the garden. And he'll even give him a divine job description to tend and to keep. But in the creation narrative, rest will come first. It's like going in for a job interview and going through the process. And then the employer tells you, congratulations, you got the job. And then he says, but I want you to do something. We want to pay you to take your first day off. We'd be like, man, that's crazy. That's weird. Some of us might, we might pull our names out of consideration because this is a little suspect. Like what kind of company values rest over productivity? Yet, 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 this is what God does with Adam. Why? God was teaching Adam that his identity, his significance, and his value would not come from his productivity, 
but from his creator. That you are loved fully because of who you are, not because of what you do. And we know how the story goes, don't we? Sin enters in. Adam fails to trust God. And these lessons get flipped and distorted. And work goes from being good to becoming God. And as a result of this idolatry, Sabbath rest is ignored and work is given the power to consume and destroy. No doubt we have a lot of workaholics in this room. And really, if you think about it, this is really the fundamental question of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Will we trust in our own work to save us? Or will we trust in the work of Christ? Y'all get that? That's key. This is a setup for the gospel question. Will I trust in the works of my own hands to be a salvation? Many of us, we work to find identity. Or we work to escape something. Either way, work becomes a messiah. And your job becomes the temple in which you attend regularly to worship. Yet the fundamental question of the gospel is, will you trust in your work to save or will you trust in Christ's work to save? Amen? I think the Exodus story illustrates this perfectly. We go from Genesis and to, into Exodus. You know, Israel is stuck in generational slavery. We're talking 400 years of being stripped of their human dignity and only being valued for what they can do. Make more bricks. We're talking generations Great, great grandparents, sons and daughters, grandmas and grandpas, grandsons and granddaughters living in a formational period of time in which their value is not because they are human, but because they are a commodity, an object. And the narrative was work or die. And can I tell you, in Egypt, there was no vacations No PTO. There were no paid sick days in Egypt. There was no maternity or paternity leave in Egypt. Are you with me? Slavery was deeply embedded, not just into what they do, but who they are. It became an identity. So when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, the work was only half done. A lot of us think that it's, The redemption part, that's all the work. Yes, God justifies you, he saves you, but then what you enter into a season of what? Sanctification. Do you see how salvation works? 
Look, God didn't just need to deliver Israel from Egypt. He needed to break their slave mentality and teach them how to live as free men and women. This was the point of the Ten Commandments. God was training his people to live like sons and daughters and not like slaves. Listen to how the fourth commandment is restated in Deuteronomy 5.15, which is really just a repetition of the commandments. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Two key words, remember and therefore. Remember what it felt like to be dehumanized. Remember what it felt like to be used. Remember what it felt like to be whipped and to be bruised and to be beaten. Remember what it felt like when Pharaoh and his taskmasters said, slave or die. He says, but don't just remember that, but remember how I came in. Remember how I redeemed you from that bondage. Remember how I dignified you with my love. Remember how I humanized what had been dehumanized. He says, don't just remember your slavery, but remember how I redeemed you from it. Now he says, in light of all of that, therefore, in light of all of this, in light of God's redeeming love, rest. Slow down. Breathe. Stop earning, stop striving, stop acting, stop performing for something that I've already freely given to you. You are loved. Stop. Rest. When we practice Sabbath, we defy slavery. You know that? When we practice Sabbath rest, we look at our taskmasters, our slaveholders, and our slavery, and we say, you cannot stop me from being free. When we practice Sabbath rest, we defy slavery and embrace sonship. Listen, we, we may not have physical pharaohs. Well, some of you might call your boss that. Pastor Roger and Catherine, I hope they... That doesn't be, that's not a joke on a thread. We're in this together. We may not have physical pharaohs telling us where to go or what to do, but we all battle that voice in our heads, even right now, that's telling you, you can't stop. I can't rest. This is idealistic preaching, Pastor Phil. You can't do this. Right, there's many of you in this room. That's good. That's awesome. But reality is you're, you're convincing yourself. That's not for me. It's just not my word today. You may not have a literal physical pharaoh, but you have a voice. Pastor Tim Keller was recalling the movie Rocky. Rocky 1, you know, 
And he's running up the steps and he's that iconic scene of him holding up his hands and the music blaring in a time of victory. Recalling Rocky one, somebody asked Rocky, why, why do you train so hard? I mean, Rocky is the image of the man who just works and trains and grits and grinds and he gets knocked down, but he gets back up. In the movie, someone asks him, why do you train so hard? Like, why are you so driven? And he said, I want to go the distance. Then I'll know that I'm not a bum. And so this iconic American hero that everyone elevates as the emblem of success is really being driven by an inner pharaoh. I don't want people to think I'm a bum. And some of us in here right now, we work and we achieve and we obtain and progress because we don't want to look like a bum. I don't want to look like a loser. We meet with our friends and we see they all have successful quote unquote lives. As we know, that's according to this world and we don't want to look like the bum. Am I the only one that's felt that way? Now you see everybody else moving, grinding, buying homes. That's a good one for the Bay Area. Zillow, right? Someone who's been delivered from physical pornography that becomes your new pornography, right? Still lust of the eyes. It's still lust of the eyes. We may not all be in physical chains, yet many of us are chained to our distorted ideas of achievement, success, the American dream. We have hidden fears driving us like taskmasters. These fears are telling us that if we stop hustling, our lives will mean nothing. That if we stop working, stop moving, stop going, stop progressing, it'll somehow mean that we're losers, bums, insignificant, worthless. Pastor Richard Villalotis puts it bluntly. We keep the Sabbath because this is what free people do. If you cannot rest, you are not free. Whew. Peter Schizero says it less painfully. <laughs> I was like, I gotta find another quote here. Through a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, we defy every influence that we are tempted to define us, like title, position, role, or productivity. We publicly proclaim to the world that we are not slaves, but free men and women purchased by the blood of Jesus. We will not bow to the Pharaoh of this world driving us to be identified and loved through our activity and our productivity. But we will rest in knowing that we are God's. We are his and he is ours. We Sabbath rest because we in resting, Sabbath resting, we image God, we imitate God, and we Sabbath rest because in Sabbath resting, we live into our freedom. 
imitation, liberation, and finally, anticipation. When we Sabbath rest, we practice eternity in time. Y'all know Sabbath is an appetizer? No, you don't. (laughs) Sabbath is a foretaste of what is to come. And as followers of Christ, we look forward to the day when all striving, all competing, all driving and progressing and attaining and achieving falls to the feet of Jesus. And we are fully known and fully loved, not for who, what we do, but for who we are. That the pharaohs and slave drivers of this world no longer are empowered to push us so that our bodies are tired, our minds are tired, and our souls are deplete. We look forward to the day when we enter into a time of permanent, undisturbed by sin, uninterrupted by worry, fear, or doubt, Sabbath rest. It'll be a time when we finally see the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, face to face. A day when we experience what is meant for us to experience in the garden sanctuary of Eden. A day when sacred time and sacred space never end. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Hashel puts it like this, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated in the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal And the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. Man, that that final phrase right there, you could just chew on it all week, can't you? The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal. And the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. And if you're anything like me, this is convicting because I see even though I am a follower of Jesus and I don't, I am saved by his work, not my own. I know this and I will be with him forever. I'm saddened by just how far my lifestyle embraces true freedom. That I, I have no idea what God has in store. And even when I try to practice it here in time, I fall woefully short. But I'll tell you what, it does encourage me to keep trying. It does encourage me to, even if I fail Sabbath, (laughs) man wasn't made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. The time to stop, to delight, to contemplate, to participate, to celebrate. Today we are going to take the communion shortly. And so in light of that, I thought I'd read from you 
I'll read for you from the text from Luke 23, 52 through 54. And honestly, this is probably just, this is such a holy moment here. And so I just ask if you could in this moment, just really allow it to just grasp your heart. Luke 23, 52 reads like this. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever or no one had ever yet been laid. Listen, it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. Did you know, an Orthodox Jew, Sabbath began Friday, sundown, to Saturday, sundown. Did you know that on Friday, Jesus was working? Did you know that on Friday, he was tried in the wee hours of the morning? It was an early work day for Jesus. He was accused. He was mocked. He was flogged. It was a day of long work. But that was not it. They fashioned and formed the crown of thorns and put it on his head. Jesus was working. And then they laid a heavy cross on his shoulder and told him to carry the thing in which he would to be executed on. He was working and he walked and he worked and he wore the crown and he carried the cross. But he wasn't done working. This was going to be a real long day for Jesus. It was going to be a long day in the office, if you will. And so they put up the cross and they pulled out the hammers and the nails and they began to drive them into his hands and drive them into his feet. And and, and he was working, but his work day was not over. They would mock him. They would strip him. They would wound him in his side. And even the father for a moment would turn and he would say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friday Jesus was working but the Sabbath was coming and on the next day this rich man wrapped Jesus in linen and brought him down and laid him in a dark tomb and did you know on the Sabbath Jesus Sabbath Holy Saturday Jesus resting in the tomb the work was finished wow and do you know that that Savior invites you to die and rest in a tomb he invites you to crucify the flesh and all of its longings and desires and wantings the desires of the eyes that says I don't have enough I need more the desires of the blessings I need it instantly I need it now otherwise I'm a nobody I need pleasure I need satisfaction 
the pride of life that wants to be somebody, have something, wants to walk in the room so everyone would look and say, that's somebody great. Jesus says, would you come and die? Would you lay that at the cross? Would you hammer that? Would you allow your flesh to die? And then would you lay in a tomb of rest? Because when you enter Sabbath rest, it's a death. But I love it. Just like in the beginning, God created and he rested. Jesus does the work of the new creation and then he rests in the tomb but he didn't stay there he rose on the third day he rose on Sunday which is why Christians traditionally celebrate our Sabbath on Sunday now, I don't have to be legalistic about the day as long as you're applying some sort of wrestle day. But this is typically the day in which we gather, we worship, we celebrate, we enjoy, we stop rest, or we stop work. And we remember. Amen? We remember. We remember. We keep the day holy. We remember. So just like the Father, just like God, Rested after he created. After a long work day, Jesus, he rested. Then he arose and inaugurated the new creation. And we now live into that.